You are listening to Rewire with Susan, the podcast where we break down concepts in software development in just a few seconds and discuss both technical and non-technical skills that will propel your journey as a developer. Ready, set, go. Here's your host, Susan. Hello, fellas. You're welcome to this week's episode of Rewire with Susan. We'll continue with our topic from last week, common security vulnerabilities. Um, Last week, I took you through two of them, um, XSS and CSRF, what they are, how attackers take advantage of websites with this flaw, and how to prevent them. This week, we'll look into three more vulnerabilities, so sit tight and enjoy the ride. <laughs> okay, before we go on, I'd like to remind you to share your feedback, your experience and thoughts about the podcast on the attached Google form in the show notes. Um, it's super helpful to know what you think and how we can improve and what kind of giveaways you'd like. <laughs> anyway, the first vulnerability we'll look at today is SQL injection. SQL is short for structured query language and is used to access and manipulate a database. If you've listened to the episode about databases, you have a sense of what databases are. Now, when malicious SQL statements are inserted into an entry or input field, maybe, um, this is what we call SQL injection. The way that an attacker takes advantage of this flaw is that they try to inject malicious SQL statements into an input field to trick the database into doing things like returning all the database content or sensitive data such as usernames, passwords, or credit card information. So the attacker uses this malicious code to access and corrupt the database and they can have access update, alter, or delete content from the database. This vulnerability is a little similar to what we have in XSS because it relies on user input. However, it affects the database unlike XSS, which affects the browser. How do we guide against this from happening? You know, first of all, like we mentioned in a previous episode, you want to treat all user inputs as untrusted data, which means that the input needs to be filtered and validated, essentially. Another incredibly important one that I would like us to talk about is security misconfiguration. So security misconfiguration happens when a part of your web application is defenseless against attack as a result of misconfiguration (laughs) or an insecure configuration by the author or contributors of the web application. Now, there are a couple of ways this could happen. For instance, it could be as a result of having default accounts or credentials that do not get updated. So if an attacker discovers this, they can log in with the default password and take over your application. Boom. Another way this could play out is when the server configuration enables too much information in a stack trace. So somebody's wondering, um, what's a stack trace? Well, a stack trace is like a treasure map, right? When there is an error in your code, most times the application will exit and print a weird looking message. This is called a stack trace. It shows you the route your code passed through which led you to the point of this error. Now, if a friend of yours that doesn't 
you know, code walks in on your screen displaying this dark trace, they may begin to think you're a spy for the government and avoid you because of the gibberish, in quotes, displayed on your screen. Now, an attacker can take advantage, you know, when you return too much information about your application in a stack trace to the user. To guide against this um, vulnerability called security misconfiguration, you want to do things like being careful not to overshare information in your error messages or stack traces. You want to have a minimal footprint in your web application configurations. And by this, I mean not keeping what you're not likely to use, turning off enabled settings that are not in use, right? Just having something simple that you're sure that, okay, all these things enabled are actually in use. Anything you're not sure of or that is not enabled, you want to turn off or you want to remove. Now, you want to ensure that you're not keeping default account credentials or unprotected files and directories as this could be also handy for the attacker as well. The last but not the least um, vulnerability we'll discuss is broken authentication. Broken authentication happens when attackers masquerade as a user through different things. It could be through stolen login credentials or a hijacked session ID. I'll talk about what those are soon. Now, there are a number of ways that an attacker could do this. One of them is through something called credential stuffing. Now, credential stuffing is a kind of brute force attack where a large number of known breached credentials are entered into a website until they match an existing account. Then the attacker can hijack for malicious purposes. So um, basically what this means is that if there are some credentials that have been used on a different platform like um, Yahoo or Facebook and they got leaked, right? Those credentials got leaked. Those credentials are obviously traced to specific accounts, right? And there's a very high chance that whoever, you know, used those credentials probably use the same credentials for another application. In this case, maybe this application the attacker is trying to get into. So the attacker can try using, you know, they, they probably have like a huge database of breached accounts or credentials that they keep trying to get access um, using these credentials, you know. So this is one way uh, the attacker can, can find their way, you know. Another way is through automated attacks. And this is when an attacker uses random username and password until they get logged in and break into an, an application. So the only difference between this one and the credential stuffing is that they are using random usernames in this case. They don't have to be like known credentials in this case. Now, another way is through default passwords. <laughs> and this is where you have people who use lazy credentials like, you know, admin for username and admin for password. Anybody can easily guess that, you know, and try that out. Um, or using like admin as username and password as password, <laughs> right? So people that use this kind of lazy credentials or in quotes, default credentials can be at risk of this. Now, the final way is, well, not necessarily the final way, but like one of the ways that an attacker could do this is through stolen session IDs. Now, let me explain what this means. When a user logs into an application, 
a session ID gets created for that user. Now, if a user logged into an application on, say, a public computer, right, and they were done, they finished what they, were, what they were, wanted to do, and they closed the tab, you know, when they were done and didn't close the browser. Now, that session ID still exists even after they closed the, the tab, right? So any attacker who goes to use that same computer could use that same session ID and basically masquerade as that user, right? So they could go about maybe posting weird stuff on their Facebook or just using their credentials or their session ID for anything they want to. Now, a couple of different ways you can prevent this kind of vulnerability is first of all, like in the case of the stolen session ID, you can have your web server, that's as the creator of this application now, have your web server create a unique session ID, you know, from the backend so that any attacker is unable to masquerade as your user without proper authentication, right? So another way is to add a limit to the number of failed logins that happen to a user that is signed in. So for instance, if a user tries to sign in for up to three or five times, they can be locked out of their accounts. And of course, this will prevent things like credential stuffing, where an attacker is trying to use brute force to try a couple different um, uh, credentials to have access into a system. And the third one is through the use of multi-factor authentication. As you can probably tell, a lot of applications are migrating from single-factor authentication to multi-factor authentication because there are a lot of vulnerabilities that come with just using username and password to authenticate or um, verify a user, right? So using an extra layer of authentication besides your username and password, like your PIN or token or fingerprint or face recognition because this is unique to the user and so would pose an issue for the attacker. Um, on a lighter note, this is the reason why some attackers, sorry, wives or girlfriends wait for their husbands or boyfriends to be asleep before checking their phones. Hmm. Now, the next thing is password complexity. And of course, as the name implies, making sure that the password is complex to an extent, you want to get your users to fulfill some form of password complexity requirements. For example, meeting a particular number of characters, having an uppercase letter, and some special characters as well. So just making it harder for people to get your, guess your password essentially is what this is useful for. And... With that, we have come to the end of this episode. Today, we discussed three types of security vulnerabilities. The first is SQL injection, then security misconfiguration, and broken authentication. I hope you learned something, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Peace. Head over to rewirewithsusan.com to catch up on all episodes. Remember to subscribe to your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show. If you have questions, rants, or suggestions, send an email to hello at rewirewithsusan.com or DM at Sue Hastings on Twitter. Thank you for listening and talk to you soon.